Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with your Wednesday Night Wars edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back to break down everything that happened Wednesday night on NXT and AEW Dynamite as 2020 is on its way to a conclusion, but not without AEW trying to put its best foot forward and NXT preparing for what looks to be an incredible card coming up in early January at New Year's Evil. There is a ton to talk about on today's show, and we are not going to waste that much time in the intro except for a couple of reminders. First, let's talk about the show and how the month is going to be ending. I've already mentioned that our next big thing, for lack of a better term, coming up on this show is our year-end award. And I have been a little slow in getting that going. That is my fault and no one's fault but my own. The biggest issue is I've come up probably with about 20 award categories, and then I kind of realized that is far too many to do a simple podcast award, especially if you're going to have people vote on them. So as you're listening to this show, many of you will be listening to it on a Thursday. Be sure to check our Twitter account at Getting Overcast starting now through the weekend. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and probably Monday as well. I will be putting out the categories of our awards and asking you all for nominations. In those tweets will be listed the wrestlers, the matches, whatever the case, that are already nominated, the things that we have on our list. So all you guys will need to do is reply to those tweets and just say, hey, you're missing this one, you're missing that one. And if I do have a number of people reply the same things, those matches or people or brands or whatever the case will be added to the list of nominations. And then next week, I will send out a form where you all will be able to vote. And for the first time ever, we will have our Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties. I'm not sure if I'm going with that name. Uh, You guys need to tell me whether you like that or not. So that's another thing that you can do on Twitter. So first, of course, follow us on Twitter at Getting Over Cast. Then do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for this damn podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love this show. Again, when you guys leave ratings, and especially when you leave written reviews as well, that helps more people see the show. It gets bumped up higher in Apple's ratings. More people listen. That also helps it get bumped up higher in Apple's rankings. And that's all positive stuff. And you guys can contribute to the show by doing just that. I know the proportion of episode listeners to Apple reviews, and I know that you guys can be listening from Spotify and Google and everywhere else that we're available, by the way. Uh, But I know how many listen on Apple, and the number of reviews we have is a small number compared to the number of you who listen. So please make sure, again, it is almost the holiday season. It is the holiday season. Please give us the gift of your five-star rating and review. As we close out the week, another reminder, we will be back Sunday as soon as WWE TLC Tables, Ladders, and Chairs goes off the air with instant analysis of that pay-per-view. So Sunday night, you will have a new episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will then be back Tuesday, and we will be back the following Thursday with our next AEW Dynamite and NXT episode. But before we get to all of that, we got to get to this week's 
AEW Dynamite, an NXT episode. And I'll tell you, folks, after a couple weeks of AEW really putting it out there, I mean, full faith and effort, high quality matches, the return of Sting, some really other interesting things that AEW did, obviously the stuff with Impact as well. I would be lying if I wasn't just being plain that this week was a massive step back in terms of Dynamite, the top to bottom, the entire two-hour show. So because of that, we're going to start with NXT this week. I will move over, talk a little bit about what happened on Impact and then AEW. And as always, if you're a first-time listener or if you only happen to watch one show or the other, or you only want to hear me talk about one show or the other, you can hit our episode description for timestamps. We have timestamps in the description for every single episode that we do of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. But let's get into this one. And as I said, we're going to start with NXT and really the two biggest storylines or matches coming out of that show. The first was Kyle O'Reilly against Pete Dunne for the number one contendership to the NXT championship currently held by Finn Balor. So Dunne and O'Reilly, they stared each other down in the ring as Everything else around them went insane. You saw Undisputed Era, Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch, Killian Dane and Drake Maverick, and Brizongo all brawl and fly and take each other out. It was awesome. Like the chaotic nature of that mixed with O'Reilly and Dunn staring each other down like that was pretty super cool and a great way to start the match. O'Reilly countered the bitter end and then Dunn countered back into an X-Plex. Dunn flipped out of an avalanche German, ruined O'Reilly in the Tree of Woe. They did a tug of war between the turnbuckle on the ring apron. That was a cool spot. O'Reilly then kicked out of a sit-down powerbomb. They traded arm bars and ankle locks and cradle submissions. O'Reilly hit a brain buster. The small crowd that was there was actually going nuts. And if that was in front of a large crowd or a takeover crowd, it would have gone absolutely insane because this match truly, truly was incredible. O'Reilly hit a fisherman's German suplex onto Dunn's head, which kind of looked dangerous, but he was okay. They traded numerous submissions and O'Reilly reversed bitter end on the ring apron into a vertical suplex off the ring apron to the ringside area. O'Reilly then hit his flying knee onto Dunn's head on the ring apron, rolled him inside, and got the one, two, three. This was a ridiculously great match. It got over 20 minutes, and I could have easily watched another 20. It's one of the best television matches any brand of the entire year, probably a top 10 TV match. For NXT, probably a top three TV match. And that's if you're including Walter and Isla Dragunov over on NXT UK. That is the quality of match that we got here. Not even a question. I'm surprised O'Reilly is getting a rematch with Finn Balor already at New Year's Evil. They may honestly just fucking kill each other at this point. I could see O'Reilly being a transitional champion for Karrion Cross, perhaps. So... It is curious that they're going in this direction because it's like, well, if you're just going to have Balor beat O'Reilly again, what's really the point of giving O'Reilly the opportunity? You already had a teardown, knockdown, dragout match at TakeOver. They easily could have just put Dunn in that scenario. So if they're putting O'Reilly there, I'm actually going to believe that O'Reilly's going to win the title. And we'll talk about it. We'll have a New Year's Evil preview on the show. But right now, as of today, I'm leaning towards O'Reilly winning being a transitional champion for about a month, and then carrying Cross taking the title off of him. Later in the show, Balor cut a promo ahead of the match with O'Reilly, but it was pre-taped, which how would he have known or pre-taped that with all the cool cinematography and all that 
inside of like 25 minutes after the match was over. It was a good promo with Balor saying this wouldn't be the rematch, but the final match between the two. I'm just saying from a kayfabe standpoint and a reality standpoint, it really didn't make sense to like have that match end and then immediately have the champion with this well-packaged pre-taped promo. So they probably should have been a little bit smarter in that regard, but it doesn't really take away from the promo, which was very good, and the match, which was great. It truly was a great match right in the middle of NXT. Really good booking, top to bottom. O'Reilly, Dunn, clearly two of the best in NXT right now. Just fantastic match. For the main event of NXT, we got Rhea Ripley going up against Tony Storm. Both women cut great pre-taped promos before the match, though Ripley was a bit more focused on Raquel Gonzalez and her promo, which obviously played out as the match went on. It was foreshadowing that I think some people, when they saw the result of the match, kind of missed that foreshadowing of her promo. It was a promo ahead of a match with Tony Storm, but about Raquel Gonzalez. The match got started with less than 15 minutes remaining, and there was a long commercial in there. I get that they used both of the picture-in-picture breaks for the men's match, but that's pretty unacceptable for a match of this caliber between Rhea Ripley and Tony Storm. It was a disappointment, but the parts of the match that we saw were not. These two absolutely tore it up. It was way better than their match at Worlds Collide and pretty close, if not as good, if not better than their NXT UK match and the other time that they fought as well. So, I mean, just it was really damn good. So you got to give them credit where it's due. Uh, A double headbutt and trading some strikes preceded a flurry of a finish between these two. Storm escaped Ripley's inverted cloverleaf, hit a German suplex bridge for a two, and then ate a headfirst assault into the top turnbuckle for a two count herself. Ripley hit three leg drops for a two, and Storm escaped a riptide. Gonzalez tried to interfere, but Ripley kicked Storm into Gonzalez, who flew over the barricade. Gonzalez stopped Ripley from getting back into the ring and threw her headfirst into the ring post. Storm then drilled her with her backside, uh, and Ripley got back into the ring, got hit with Storm Zero for the one, two, three. So I think that makes Tony Storm now three and two with a winning advantage in the rivalry. This was a damn good match. I probably would have flipped it with O'Reilly and Dunn in terms of match card. My guess is they didn't want the men to go head-to-head with Kenny Omega, who was clearly going to be in the main event of AEW Dynamite. The truth is someone had to win, and an interference win for Storm was inevitable, considering Ripley is going to be going against Gonzalez at New Year's Evil. We talked about it last week extensively on this very podcast. With the talent level of the women in NXT, with how strong that women's division is, someone has to win the matches, and someone has to lose them. So you're going to have... Ember Moon and Tony Storm and Rhea Ripley and Raquel Gonzalez eventually and and Candice LeRae and Dakota Kai and all of them are going to lose matches. And it's kind of inevitable. I know that everyone wants all of them to be built strong, but it's literally just not possible unless you have them all fight jobbers. And right now they don't really have that many jobbers. That's how strong and ridiculously great that women's division is. So the question is what happens going forward. With Ripley already beating Gonzalez, I figured Ripley would go over Storm here and then Gonzalez would go over Ripley at New Year's Evil. But clearly that's not what they're doing. They had Ripley lose to Storm, which kind of makes me think that maybe she was giving Storm her win back. Maybe she will lose to Gonzalez at New Year's Evil as expected. And maybe that's it. 
Maybe she's written off of NXT. She enters the Royal Rumble in January. And after that, she's part of the main roster. She moves over to Raw or SmackDown. I could 100% see that happening. And she's deserving of that type of call-up. On the other hand, they could also just have Ripley lose that match to Storm, beat Gonzalez, and then go back to Storm and beat her later. So I'm not exactly sure which way they're going to go, but I think it's going to be the former idea that I just presented. Either way, watching this match, you had to appreciate that these women are 24 and 25, respectively. If they stay in WWE long-term, which there's no reason to expect they would not, you're talking at least like five to seven years of great work for both of them, depending what their future plans and, and you know life, what they want to do with their lives, depending what those might be. That's really exciting stuff. And that's just those two. You're talking about all the other women in NXT, not to mention someone like Bianca Belair, who's slightly older, but she had you know an athletic career ahead of time. And, and now she's kind of getting into wrestling, but you already see the caliber of athlete that she is. So it is just, and still, by the way, let's not forget, Sasha Banks is 28, right? And some of these other women are, are in their late 20s and early 30s. So the, the potential for women's wrestling in WWE and NXT is astronomical right now. And these, these two, I almost said these guys, but these two, Tony Storm and Rhea Ripley, they're paradigms of what can be possible for a woman who comes into WWE at a younger age and now has their entire career in front of them with an ability to put on teardown, knockdown, dragout matches that are just top tier. I mean, this this didn't scratch the surface of the best women's match of the year, but it was still damn good. And that was a regular TV match, 15 minutes with a commercial. So very impressed by what those two did. Starting off the show, we had Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory defeat Kushida and Leon Ruff. Commentary did a great job selling how fluid the way, that's the name of the faction as we guessed last week, how fluid they were as a team. They had a logo, ring gear, a hand gesture, plus some great tag team moves between Gargano and Theory. Ruff climbed the ropes for a high-risk move outside, tripped and fell all like off the top rope, hit the ring apron, fell down. I'm really glad he was okay, was able to finish the match. Kushida got the hot tag and went wild, but Ruff tagged himself in. He had an awesome springboard cutter and went for a crucifix pin on Gargano, but Theory was the legal man. So Theory hit this insane fisherman's spinning flatliner type of move for the win. Theory looked like a million bucks. The best he's looked in WWE or NXT since he came in from Evolve. The way as a faction is great. I already said I love the idea that it's two men and two women. I think it would be great if Gargano eventually drops North American title and the factions made up of a tag team of men and a tag team of women where you have Larray and Indy Hartwell going after the women's tag team championship, Gargano and Theory going after the NXT tag team championship. That would be really cool. So speaking of the way, we'll kind of move on to the next match. Shotzi Blackheart defeating Indy Hartwell. Shotzi in a promo said the faces hurt the heels in the War Games match in defeat, but her war with Candice LeRae was not over. The match was pretty good as Blackheart fought Hartwell because obviously LeRae broke her arm, so she's not able to compete. So basically Shotzi said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and break Hartwell instead. So the match, solid. Shotzi got most of the offense. Gargano handed Hartwell the trophy from last week. She hit Shotzi with it, but the referee saw it right in front of his eyes, very blatant, called the disqualification. Loray hit Shotzi with Wicked Stepsister, and no one came out for the save. 
So I'm fine to continue the storyline, but it kind of feels like someone should have come out for the save there because there were two women and two guys. Granted, the guys didn't hit, you know, Shotzi, but she was ganged up four to one. And it's like, well, where's Ember Moon? Where's all these people that had her back one week ago or two weeks ago? They're just nowhere to be found now. So that was a little strange, but it was a pretty decent match. And I love the storyline with the, the way. So all of that's working for me. We had Tommaso Ciampa defeat Tyler Rust. Ciampa left a ringside seat for Timothy Thatcher, but he didn't take it. I thought this was going to be a squash, but Ciampa sold his ass off for Rust, who hit a really cool swinging bulldog in the match. Ciampa eventually drove multiple knees into Rust and hit Willow's Bell for the win. Ciampa and Thatcher had another confrontation afterward. Wade Barrett on commentary really sold that Rust is like a future NXT main eventer. He put him over strong. And Champa even looked back at him after the loss. That is how, by the way, you do a TV match and put someone over in defeat. You beat them, but you're looking back and you're like, man, I could have easily lost. You saw Johnny Gargano do that with Austin Theory that preceded the Way storyline. And now you have Champa doing it to Tyler Rust, giving him that credit. That was really cool. After the match, it actually happened during commercial, but they showed it. When NXT came back from commercial, Malcolm Bivens ran to ringside. He built up Rust after the loss and continued basically recruiting him. He got a fist bump. It's great to see Bivens back on TV. He's a great character. We have barely scratched the surface of what this guy is capable of in that type of role. So I'm really excited to see what they do with him and Rust. It's a little bit of an odd pairing. No more odd than it was with Malcolm Bivens and Indu Sure. That was way odder. Uh, more odd, whichever terminology you prefer. But I am excited to see Bivens and Rust surprised me. So this duo, let's see what NXT can do. The Grizzled Young Veterans cut a taped promo about being the best tag team of a generation, even in a division that has rebuilt itself with a bunch of new teams. It was good. The promo was solid. They're always solid talking. But I liked that the promo highlighted the tag team division because we've talked about it on this podcast numerous times how weak and empty, void of teams, the tag team division had become. And they've very quickly rebuilt it. Now, is it rebuilt to the caliber of what the NXT tag team division was, you know, two years ago, three years ago? No, it's not even close to that. But in terms of body count, they got the bodies. They've rebuilt the division and there's a big potential for storylines and different combinations of wrestlers to kind of do multiple things from a tag team sense. So now I'm excited to see what they actually do. I don't really have, out of that entire group, a tag team that I particularly love. I mean, I like Undisputed Era a lot, you know, and Killian Dane and Drake Maverick, I find incredibly entertaining. I'm very excited by Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory. If they go in the direction of a tag team, clearly Gargano is a North American champion, so it doesn't make sense to do that right now. Everyone else, it's not that I don't like them. They just don't make me emote. They don't draw stuff out of me, right? Like Lorcan and Birch, great wrestlers, but do I care really that they're the champions? No, I don't necessarily. Grizzled Young Veterans, exciting new tag team, but are they over with me? You know, not really yet. So that's where I think the growth and potential is. I'd like to see some unique gimmicks, some unique storylines. Let's inject some creativity into the division and get things going. Clearly, they're doing something considering the brawl ahead of the Kyle O'Reilly and Pete Dunn match. Obviously, there are a couple other teams that we did see, Gargano and Theory and Kushida and Ruff, although who knows if that's actually a team. Maybe they're on their way to doing something. The Dusty Rhodes 
Tag Team Classic, I think, is coming up sooner than later. So maybe they're just preparing a bunch of teams for that. And maybe that is where this can kind of kick off the NXT Tag Team Division into its new gear. But at least they are trying. On commentary, Vic Joseph said that Cameron Grimes is going to be sidelined four to six weeks for an undisclosed injury, but something that the kayfabe said happened on television. So we're not going to see him for a while. It's slightly um, disappointing simply because Cameron Grimes had been getting over really well recently. The Chinese Torture Academy, uh, for I guess we can call it that, that continued this week as well. Xia Li was crying. She and Boa begged for no more. And then they revealed that it was Xia Li beating the ever-loving shit out of Boa. The lady with the white face and black stripe over her eyes was shown again. We're thinking again, you know, just to be repetitive here, we were believing that's Karen Q and she's going to be the leader of this group. Pretty cool. Uh, I'm all in on this weird shit. I don't remember WWE ever airing some vignettes that are brutal like this. Truly brutal, like corporal punishment style brutality. So this is very unique and I'm definitely curious to see what they do. I don't know how long the runway is going to be for these three, but look, I mean, you got to do something with people. So this is as interested as I've been in any of them ever. So it's really good as far as I'm concerned. There's also a quick promo that Bronson Reed is back next week. They haven't really had storyline reasons to use him recently, but he had been getting built strong. Maybe there was an injury. Maybe there was an illness. I'm not totally sure why he hasn't been around. But like I said, right before he wasn't being used, he was being used frequently and built extremely strong. So I'm very excited for him to come back. He is someone else whose arrow is pointing up in a major, major way. I could see him being a challenger for the North American Championship and maybe being the one to take the title off Johnny Gargano, you know, in a couple of months' time. We had Karrion Cross making his in-ring return against Desmond Troy. Cross had a couple of video packages before the match, typical stuff. The entrance got even cooler. Uh, you know, let's be honest, in the Capitol Wrestling Center, it just looked awesome with the chain link and the smoke and all that type of stuff. Cross hit the Doomsday Saito and the Cross Jacket for the easy win in two minutes. He then cut a promo. It was pretty intimidating as a promo to Damian Priest after the match, challenging him for New Year's Evil. And it's pretty clear that that is going to happen as well. We saw Isaiah Swerve Scott backstage being frustrated. He was asked why he walked away from Jake Atlas last week. And Swerve said people made too much of it. And he was just frustrated. And he is way too experienced and talented to lose to a guy like Atlas. So they're clearly going to have a rematch next week. Swerve is definitely headed for a heel turn, you have to assume, and I'm down for it. He had a grill. Um, He looks pretty cool. Swerve has now proven on a couple of occasions to be a really good promo when he's given the chance. So I'm glad that there's a fresh storyline with him. I hope he comes out on top over Jake Atlas, and they need to start moving this guy. They got to work with Swerve and either put him back in the Cruiserweight title picture, put him in the North American Championship picture, or just start increasing his competition level and let's get this guy primed for something big because this guy's a star. I've said it so many times on this podcast. Swerve is going to be a star in WWE as long as they strap a rocket to him and it's starting to feel like it's time for them to strap a rocket to him. A couple more things before we get out of NXT. Ever Rise after that promo grabbed the mic. They were screaming, trying to get a loss from last week reversed. I know they're old school complaining heels and a lot of people really like them, but I'm not there yet. Maybe it's because I don't watch 205 Live, so I'm not seeing their characters progress week to week. But from what I see on NXT, like I get it. I don't hate it, but I'm not there. I'm not there where I'm enjoying their segments. 
to this point. And lastly, throughout the show, we had Dexter Loomis sitting at an easel elevated from ringside. He was drawing something for New Year's Evil. It was later revealed he wants to be the host of New Year's Evil. So I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work, but okay. It would be very funny if on the broadcast, Vic Joseph like throws to him and he just stares into the camera. And then Vic replies like, great stuff, uh, you know, Dexter, uh, you know, really appreciate your contribution. You're dead on. And then just continues on with the broadcast. So I don't know what, exactly what they're going to do, but I do find it intriguing that Loomis will be the host. I just don't necessarily know what they're going to get out of that, nor do I think New Year's Evil needed a host the way Halloween Havoc did kind of need and utilize a host in Shotzi Blackheart. That made more sense to me than this does for Dexter Loomis, but hey, they're trying it. Maybe they saw that it worked with Halloween Havoc. So, you know, rinse, lather, and repeat. Or lather, rinse, and repeat, I guess is the phrase. So I, well, that, that's clearly the direction that they're going to be going. So NXT, quick wrap up. Damn good show. Two really great matches. Lots of storylines building ahead, intriguing stuff. I was very enthused by it. I thought it was probably their best episode in the last three weeks. And then we transition over to talking about AEW. And by comparison, I thought it was by far their worst episode of the last three weeks. And just an episode that top to bottom, I did not enjoy. And look, you guys know I'm candid on this podcast. If I criticize AEW here, inevitably I get tweets, oh, Silver King, you're biased. You like NXT more and blah, blah, blah. I guess on average, I do like NXT a little bit more, you know, 55 to 45 or maybe 60 to 40, but it's a very slim margin. I'll tell you what is funny though. When I praise AEW on this podcast, I don't get AEW fans in my DMs or tweets, you know, thanking me, I guess, for being positive about AEW or noting how positive, nor do I get people who are, I guess, NXT fans uh, tweeting at me that I'm being too positive about AEW. It's only when I criticize AEW that people get upset. And I find that funny because as I've said numerous times on this show, I've said it on Twitter, I've said it, you know, just every time I've been talking about wrestling anywhere, no company is perfect. No brand is perfect. NXT, I just went through talking about them. I criticized numerous things that happened on that show, including the timing and the way that some of the women's stuff was booked and, you know, some of the other storylines as well. So when I come over to AEW, there's many weeks where my criticisms are one or two. I think two weeks ago on AEW or even last week, man, those shows were great, right? But we go into this week's show and really I, I mostly had something critical to say about every segment with the exception of the main event, which I found very entertaining and I, I like the storyline that they're telling there. But I think if you watched this week's AEW and you weren't kind of put off a little bit by some of the decisions they made and some of the booking and some of the logic too, then I just think people are being intellectually dishonest there, that they're such fans of this product that they think it should be free from criticism. Again, it's not. Like the honeymoon period is over. They're more than a year in. They've hired major people to work and run this company. They have Sting, for God's sakes. I mean, they have a lot of talent. This, this is not a minor league brand. This is not Impact Wrestling even or Ring of Honor. This is a huge competitor right now for WWE. And yeah, they you know regularly beat NXT, which is great. But they're, I've said this numerous times, AEW is closer to the WWE main roster product than it is the NXT product. And for some of you, that's better. For some of you, me saying that is an insult. But 
I think it's a positive thing because it's telling me they're closer to mainstream than NXT is. So if you're going to be a product that's closer to mainstream and is operating and has expectations to operate at a very high level, just like I expect NXT to operate at a very high level, when you don't operate at that level, I am going to criticize you. And and that's what's going to come here. And it's all, I think, legitimate criticism, but you guys can judge for yourselves. And maybe I'm prefacing it. I don't think my criticism is as much as I'm as I'm kind of previewing here. I'm just kind of letting you guys know that after a couple of weeks of pretty high praise for AEW, this week I was not as fond of the product that I got. But let's start Tuesday night on Impact. Now, I did not watch Impact, meaning I did not sit down and watch the two-hour show because I did that last week and I basically promised myself I would never do that again. But what I did make sure I, I did is go ahead and watch all of the segments that included AEW. So we got Tony Khan back with another paid ad, just as good as the first one. I love how smug and full of himself that Tony is in these. This one was a bit more of an ad for Dynamite than it was taking shots at Impact, but it was still very good and well done. I don't want to see this again next week. We have two of them. Let's try something else. You know, WWE is an example of a company that does too much of the same thing consistently. Let's not do an ad every week for the next three months. Uh, Kenny Omega, kind of in the main event portion of the show, late in the show, helped the Good Brothers attack Rich Swan and the Motor City Machine Guns after some match. Omega basically said they would do a little Bullet Club type of reunion, and Don Callis made a six-man main event for Hard to Kill, which is Impact's next pay-per-view. So, you know, this is intriguing. It's pretty cool that Omega is over there. As I said last week, I feel like a lot of people conflated this working arrangement into something larger than it is. I mean, it's pretty clear, at least to this point, that we have not seen Impact stars on Dynamite, and I think that's on purpose. I think AEW wanted to use Don Callis. They wanted to do a couple really interesting things, and Impact is like, okay, cool, Uh, we can do all of that, but what we want to do is use Kenny Omega on our next pay-per-view and get him on a couple shows to boost ratings. Now, this working relationship may develop into something further. And if it does, then I think, you know, that's pretty cool that AEW is trying to do that. But I am still at least now of the mindset that this is short-term and limited in terms of the scope. And there's nothing at all wrong with that. Um, You know, you got to dip your toe before you go swimming. You got to see how the water feels before you go. So that's kind of what I think is happening here. So moving over to the main event of AEW Dynamite, you had Kenny Omega defeat Joey Janela in a eliminator tournament. I don't even want to call it a rematch, a match that didn't happen, like a make good type of match. It was a non-title match, no disqualification. Just Rob- Justin Roberts uh, exaggerated the ring announcement of Omega and he does it every week and it gets better every week. It's very funny stuff. This match started hot with Janela going right after Omega, but he ate a really cool leapfrog head splash type of move into an open chair. Don Callis tried to take Tony Schiavone's headset, but Tony refused. So Callis did commentary live on the microphone during the match. Omega did some commentary on the mic also against Janela. He hit a moonsault with a garbage can. Janela kicked out. Omega then double stomped the can into Janela's head and went for the one-winged angel, but Janela reversed it with a poison rana. Sunny Kiss set up a table at ringside and Janela leg dropped Omega through it then missed a moonsault in the ring. Omega responded with two V-triggers and the one-winged angel for the win, and then he taunted Sunny Kiss at ringside. It was a really good match. The match, 
honestly exceeded my expectations. I didn't think we were going to get that much from those two. Omega did a good job kind of simultaneously no-selling Janela as a heel, but also putting him over a little bit by taking the splash through the table. So look, it was good stuff. And Omega obviously had to win and he had to win somewhat definitively in a short match. And that's what we got. So after the match, Pac and the Lucha Bros came out. Pac said he had unfinished business with Omega. Then he said Ray Phoenix advanced in the number one contender tournament, but never got to finish it. So uh, Pac got Tony Khan to set a match for December 30th. That is going to be an absolutely epic match. It's going to destroy in the main event. The whole main event segment from the Janela match to this, it all worked for me. The action was great. I love that we're getting Omega Phoenix on the TV. Clearly, there's numerous feuds that are going to be great with Omega going forward. An Omega Pac match at the next pay-per-view potentially is interesting, although it may be a rematch with Moxley. We'll have to see what happens there. But man, I am all in so far with what they're doing with Kenny Omega. That stuff is working. It's kind of like over in WWE where you're like, man, everything that they're doing with Roman Reigns is really hitting. How's the rest going? Now, that's actually not a great example because SmackDown's going pretty well. Raw is the show that has the, the issues. But that's basically how I felt about this is that I was watching the whole show. I wasn't really fond of what was happening on Dynamite. But once we got to the main event, I was all in and I really loved it. So let's go ahead and talk about everything else that happened on the show. Hardy Party defeated Adam Hangman Page and John Silver and Alex Reynolds uh, in the opener. The first 12 minutes of this were exceptionally boring uh, until Silver and Reynolds went on a run with Page. Hardy hit Silver with Twist of Fate off the ring apron, then tagged himself in after Private Party hit Gin and Juice to get the fall. Private Party looked pissed that he took the victory. Seems like Hardy might be headed for a heel turn, but this was just not a good opener. I wasn't particularly entertained by it, which is a shame considering the caliber of people in this match. Later on the show, uh, Dustin Rhodes got really angry that Evil Uno wanted him to return to the seven gimmick from WCW and join Dark Order, challenged him to a match next week. I know non-kayfabe Evil Uno, I think his dream match is against Dustin Rhodes. So the fact that he actually gets to have the match, very cool for him. But in terms of storyline, I mean, it's mediocre to bad. You know, it doesn't really, doesn't hit in any meaningful way. Uh, Cody Rhodes defeated in Helico. Before the match, Cody and Brandy did a vignette at their home where they opened a Gucci box to announce that they're having a baby in 2021. So that's great news for them. Thrilled. Um, it now explains maybe a little bit more Brandy not being there. She showed her bump a little bit later. The, the broken hand is a kind of a gimmick to get her out of wrestling. Awesome stuff. I thought the vignette was kind of weird. I just was kind of strange the way they did it. But you know what? It's their show. He's the EVP. So whatever. They can do whatever they want. I loved Pharaoh, by the way, wearing the security handkerchief. How can you not love Pharaoh? Uh, Cody won the match pretty quickly with a springboard cutter. I don't have much else to say about that. Team Taz came out afterwards to talk shit to Cody. Uh, they sarcastically congratulated him, saying they would put him on paternity leave. And then they called out Darby Allen too. No surprise that just as things may have gotten physical, Sting shows up with a bat. Powerhouse Hobbs tried to go right at him, but he was held back by the rest of Team Taz. Sting again said nothing and left as Darby Allen watched from the rafters. Second week that AEW has promoted Sting doing something substantial where nothing happened. So you tell me, fans, what's your favorite part of Sting this week? The part where he walked, the part where he pointed a bat, or the part where he just looked around? Zero point zero.
I know some of you are huge Sting fans. I get it. Uh, I'm not particularly, but I am a fan of old school stuff. Like I like seeing Jake Roberts. I like seeing Tully Blanchard. Arn Anderson, I think it's still very stupid as a coach. I like seeing him on my television. I like seeing Sting on my television. Um, Man, let's have him do something. Like what is the holdup at this point? You have three big shows coming up that you're all promoting as, you know, major. I don't know that you need to have Sting wrestle on the shows, but it'd be nice to develop the storyline a little bit. And it's been three weeks now. So the patience is running thin. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, Miro got a chance to cut a promo that kind of made no sense, folks. (laughs) I just got to say it was bad. He said he didn't like Orange Cassidy because he doesn't care and is all about the likes and shares. Then he was excited for a sunny kiss match on Dark and a wedding announcement next week on Dynamite. I thought they turned a corner with Miro last week. I got really excited to see him absolutely murder people, but maybe they didn't. Best friends later told Miro that they would be there for the announcement. So you want to talk about storylines lasting far too long, uh, like Baron Corbin in WWE? This shit with Miro and Kip Sabian accidentally breaking their video game console, and now all six of them, or all five of them, having this huge rivalry, but none of them really wrestle each other. And then when they do, it's kind of shenanigans. And and Miro still doesn't look strong throughout this entire thing. There's only one thing I can say about that. Mark that shit zero for Miro. Eddie Kingston spoke next. Kingston said he hates everyone, including God. Uh, He said they broke Pac's neck and here his career is over. Lance Archer attacked, so Butcher and Blade came in. Then the Lucha Bros and Pac came in and it was a four-on-three brawl for the faces with Ray Phoenix hitting a tornado. Pac and Archer pulled each other off Kingston as the heels walked away. This wasn't bad but it was totally formulaic and completely expected. The part that was interesting about the entire thing was Archer staring like a hole through Pac afterward and me thinking, hey, what can this become? Because a feud between those two is money. and gets me really excited. But it's also strange that, look, Pac came back to reform Death Triangle and save them from Kingston. And now Archer just kind of inserted himself into this because of I think still the Battle Royal storyline where Kingston says he never lost, but Archer was the winner of it. But okay, that shit's been over for a long ass time. And why is Archer mad at Kingston for that? So this storyline just, man, it's a mess. And I know that uh, extenuating circumstances changed this storyline. So it's something they're kind of booking, not so much on the fly, but they're changing it here and there, it seems, because Kingston got over. So they decided to have him fight Moxley. Pac wasn't available. I get all of this stuff. But it's really sloppy and man, it just, I'm not really enjoying it outside of this new thing with Archer and Pac, which does have me interested. Next, we had a 12-man tag team match that I could have sworn was advertised as a 14-man tag team match, but maybe someone wasn't available. Uh, Earlier in the show, MJF took credit for some award, which angered Chris Jericho, who just grinned and bared it basically. Uh, Again, the match, thought it was more people, but whatever. Everyone wrestled except Wardlow, who was not there, and Orange Cassidy, who was on commentary. This thing bored me senseless. I'm just being honest. I trust that it wasn't just me that felt that way because the crowd hardly reacted to it. It was as mediocre and bland of a multi-man match as you can really get. Top Flight had a really nice hot tag. Jake Hager hit a finisher. MJF called for the tag so he could get the win. 
Then they kept brawling afterward. Honestly, I just want to forget this match. Like it was, it just felt like a total waste of time watching it. Later in the show, Top Flight cut a promo on Jericho and MJF. I thought it was pretty strong. I saw some people criticizing it online, but I thought it was good challenging them to a match next week because they wanted to make their name against a legend in Jericho and one of the biggest names in the industry in MJF. I actually thought it was one of the better segments on the show, that Top Flight promo, and it started getting me to kind of believe in them as a tag team. Thunder Rosa cut a promo backstage. She was very angry because Britt Baker said she didn't belong in AEW. So Baker attacked her from behind. Rebel poured water on Thunder Rosa's face and Baker kind of washed some of the paint off. Baker then called Rosa ugly. Yikes. Uh, The acclaimed defeated SCU. Max Caster and Frankie Kazarian cut awful battle raps before the match. I really don't get the acclaimed's gimmick of purposely being horrible rappers. I I know that is the gimmick and it's like they think they're great, but they're actually not. But then you have them win the matches. So it's what is it? Which one is it? Um, Anyway, don't really get it. Uh, The match was also nothing. Caster used the boombox to hit Christopher Daniels and then Anthony Bowens hit a twisting slam for the win. That was a pretty cool move. They called out the Young Bucks for a title match next week and the Young Bucks just accepted because why not? Uh, These guys are too green to be on Dynamite right now. They should be on Dark, and they should be on Dark every single week. This does not work for me on Dynamite. There's also so many great tag teams in this freaking company that I fail to understand why they continuously put the focus on so many groups of people that are not really teams but team up or teams that aren't rivals. I want to see the best tag teams in the world wrestle each other. That's what I was promised. And yeah, we get it sometimes. Like we got Young Bucks in that Omega match. With Hangman Page, we got Young Bucks and FTR. That was damn good. We've seen some good matches with the Lucha Bros. But I want feuds and long-term storylines with all this stuff. And I just don't really get why they're not doing that. They have the talent to do it. And that's what they said. They said the tag team division was going to frequently main event. It has not frequently main evented. And the best match that they had did not main event. The the pay-per-view, which was the Omega Hangman Page match against the Young Bucks. So... I mean, pay off what you promised. That, that's kind of what I'm saying here. Uh, Serena Deeb and Big Swole defeated Ivelisse and Diamante. The women's match again, 90 minutes into the show with a double commercial break every single week. Deeb had an awesome combined submission with a suplex on the opponents. Her skill level was so much higher than everyone else in the match. I mean, she's a veteran, so that's not a surprise. But you could just tell, seeing her wrestle with the other three women, she is just on another level. Swole had a really good finish with a tiger driver and then her Clearwater Cloverleaf, which kind of looks like a lion tamer, uh, where she kind of kneels on the neck, but in the Cloverleaf position. It's pretty cool. I wouldn't be surprised if Jericho taught her that. And I'm wondering if he did, if I get the opportunity to interview him, it's something I would love to ask him, but it's a very cool move. This ended up being pretty decent, actually. Nyla Rose attacked and then Red Velvet made the save. So clearly you're going to have a six woman tag team match, I guess, next week or at some point in the future. FTR then grabbed a commentary headset, angry that AEW was spotlighting Jurassic Express, getting a match in a couple of weeks. It was a little nonsensical for them to be mad at it, I guess, just because they're not quote unquote serious as the tag team. But I loved how strong the promo was and how unique it is them grabbing the headset, being that passionate about it. That's really cool. So again, FTR Jurassic Express, that's what I'm talking about. That's the type of tag team feud I want to see. More storylines like that. But your whole storyline is FTR is upset that Jurassic Express is getting a match and had a little promo about them. And it's, it's not the strongest, right? So again, you know, AEW this week, 
And that was really the last thing to talk about because the Omega Janela thing was the main main topic and it was the main event. Um, it was just a, a weak show. I mean, yeah, you still got Omega and you were able to see the Young Bucks on the show and Sting was there. So a lot of, and Jericho was there. So a lot of your talent, you're putting front and center. But there's just something different when you, they, tr- it, it, it almost feels like, like three out of every five weeks, AEW goes crazy and they try to build an epic television show. And then the other two weeks, they're kind of just like, all right, yeah, we'll put some other storylines together. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. And I also understand that next week's a dead week for them because they're going to be airing Dynamite after some NBA game that's airing on a Wednesday. So they weren't really building much towards next week as they are for the weeks ahead. But I think what's forgotten or what they forgot a lot is next week still has to happen before the weeks ahead. And that double New Year's smash, I think, show is what they're calling it. So they should have been building really strong on this show for two and three weeks ahead, knowing that next week's show is going to mostly be a wash because it's going to air at 10 p.m. I still think plenty of people are going to watch it. For me, I'll be able to watch it live, which is pretty cool. But it just kind of felt like almost this was a week of relaxation or or something. But look, in any wrestling company, Raw, SmackDown brand, I mean, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, New Japan, you're going to have shows that are lulls whether it's TV shows, whether it's pay-per-views, it's just bound to happen because no one's going to be able to operate at a super high level of great wrestling every single week. It's just not possible. NXT, back in the day when it was at its top tier stuff in terms of takeovers, let's say, its television shows were not great week to week. Now you could say every episode of NXT is kind of better than those were, but, you know, some weeks are down weeks. Some weeks we get a kind of blah main event and the storylines don't really develop and we're looking at it like, well, that was, I mean, there was good wrestling on the show, but that was kind of a little bit of a waste of time. And that's kind of how I felt about Dynamite this week. It was like, there was some good wrestling. I definitely enjoyed the main event with Janela and Cody. You know, uh, sorry, uh, Janela and Omega. Cody and Helico. It was a fun short match, but... And the women's match was solid. Uh, it was it was more solid than many women's matches have been. But outside of those, I just felt the show was kind of lackluster. And they kind of took a step back this week. So that's unfortunate. But the way they are booking ahead of these New Year's Smash shows, and obviously I've also talked about the way NXT is building up New Year's Evil, has me really excited for the next few weeks of the Wednesday Night Wars. And we use that term just because, look, what else... It's an easy way to refer to both shows. So I'm excited to see what's to come from NXT and AEW. I hope you guys are too. And I also hope you enjoyed listening to today's show. So again, a couple of reminders. Sunday night, as soon as WWE TLC tables, ladders, and chairs goes off the air, we will be back with instant analysis of that pay-per-view. Also, starting Thursday, working its way through the weekend, maybe a little bit into Monday, we will be posting on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast nominations for our 2020 awards, the first annual Getting Over Awards, aka the Meaties. Maybe we'll just go with that since I've said it so many times. So all of that's going to be coming up. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So you can nominate and then next week vote in our awards. Do not forget to listen to our Sunday show. And don't forget to come back next week for a new set of shows as well. So thank you all for listening. You can follow the Silver King on Twitter himself at Silverstein Adam. 
Do not forget to be marks for this damn show. By leaving a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. And with that, the Silver King is going to leave you with just three more words. Bye for now.